sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love your we love you we thank you for your word God and I ask that you'll touch my lips of clay that you'll touch my mind illuminate my understanding even while I'm standing here or that we can deliver the unadulterated unleavened word of God to your people Lord Jesus that it'll enter our hearts it'll enter our minds it'll enter our spirits oh God and it will do a work in us I pray thy word is truth Lord and we love you and we thank you for giving us your word your truth in Jesus name amen so we are in Exodus part 6 and I'm going to be start in Exodus chapter 13 now last week of course we went through the Passover tying that into the cross and then communion. We had a wonderful time. How many people enjoyed that foot washing afterwards and all of that was, and communion? Um, thankfully, the pastor gave me a call after that. He was excited, and we are going to do that every 21 days of fasting, every, every period that we have of fasting. Uh, we're going to have communion and foot washing, so I'm going to look forward to that. Praise the Lord. And uh, it's a, a new tradition, I suppose, among upper room and it's good that we're going to be talking about that because that's actually what we're going to be talking about tonight is a little bit about traditions but in exodus chapter 13 beginning at verse 6 we have the feast of unleavened bread and the bible reads seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the lord now unleavened bread represents the body of the lord jesus christ as we studied last time uh, that we were together and since we are the body of Christ unleavened bread can represent us as well we have to remember that we are the body we are members of the body of Christ we're not on our own we don't get to just go whenever we want to and do whatever we want to do we're members of a body of Christ and we are therefore unleavened bread we have to uh, recognize who we are and that's one of the important things about um, about communion and foot washing is we're recognizing each other as the body of Christ and giving honor to each other verse 7 unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters and thou shalt Shew thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And actually they would literally tie portions of the Torah to their 
arms and to uh, in front of their eyes are called phylacteries or teflon and uh, they still do that today they took that very literally and they still do that today the last time we were together we talked extensively about the lord's passover uh, the communion the cross of jesus christ and we mentioned rather briefly the two other feasts that are uh, taking place and corresponding to the Passover. There's actually three feasts taking place at the same time. And these are the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. And it was my intention uh, to take us straight from the Passover to one of my favorite parts of Exodus, and that is the crossing of the Red Sea, because that's dramatic. That's awesome to look at. What a mighty miracle. But I believe that while I was studying for that, the Lord diverted my focus back to a part of the Passover week that we often overlook. And I always overlook it. I mention it. I mention it as the body of Christ, and then I move on. But that is the unleavened bread, and more importantly, the meaning of leaven. Why did the Lord instruct Israel to not have leaven in their homes for seven days. Why did he say go and uh, take all of the leaven, all of the leavening agents out of your homes for seven days? Now before we begin that, I want to do a quick overview of what happened to the Israelites after the first Passover. And that's important in understanding the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When God passed over the blood-applied homes, as we talked about last week the Israelites now leave Egypt uh, the blood has been applied to their houses and they were saved from God's wrath they are carrying with them unleavened bread they are following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night now that is the presence of God it is the Holy Spirit and this presence the cloud the ruach hakadesh uh, the holy spirit will be with them all the time they remain in the wilderness all throughout their journeys and that cloud leads them to the water of the red sea actually in hebrew it's yam suf which means reed sea and the egyptians pursue them but God miraculously divides the waters of the sea and they pass over on dry land. Now this crossing of the Red Sea most likely happened at the time of the Feast of First Fruits, which is a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus, the Apostle John said in 1 John 5 and verse 6 to 8, he said, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So when we look at the Passover, that's what we're looking at here. When we're looking at the, at, at the uh, Feast of Passover and then the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread and then traveling, following the cloud to the water, we are looking at 
the blood, we are looking at the spirit, we are looking at the water. And Paul likened the Passover journey of the Israelites to baptism in water and spirit. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, where Paul wrote, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. You'll find out that whenever Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, most Christians are unaware. And that's really the truth. <laughs> but he doesn't want us to be unaware. He said, our fathers uh, uh, were under the cloud. That's the, the, uh, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So they were baptized into Moses. And they were baptized into Moses because they obeyed Moses and they followed Moses. Now you and I, uh, we are baptized into Jesus because we followed Jesus and we obeyed Jesus. We are baptized into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there were four main aspects to, uh, aspects involved during the Passover and the Exodus. Number one is the blood of the Lamb. And we talked a lot about that the last two times we were together. Number two is the unleavened bread. And that's what we use, that's what we partook of during the communion last week. Number three is the spirit or the cloud. And number four is the water. Now, what is the gospel? Paul declared what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where he wrote, For I handed down to you as of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. So the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. And it's interesting that the scriptures that Paul had were the Old Testament. He didn't have a New Testament in his back pocket. He had the book of Exodus. He had the book of uh, Genesis, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what he had, and that's what he was teaching from. And Paul also said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 that we were buried with him. That's the water. We were buried with him uh, in the water, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. That is his spirit. That is the cloud and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So once again, we see the water, we see the cloud, and we see that we are buried with him in baptism. Paul reiterated this teaching in Romans chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So there's the death. 
And once again, the gospel is the death. It's the burial and the resurrection. And then he goes on, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism. That is the water. So if we were baptized into his death, if we're died, then what do we do with dead people? We bury them. So therefore, he says, we were buried with him through baptism, and that's the water, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that's the cloud, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see how Exodus fits perfectly with the New Testament? And Exodus is the redemption of the people of God in the Old Testament. And this, now we see, is the redemption of of the church the people who will become the church and it is the same pattern when we come to Jesus we come to the cross that's where you go you have there is no other way around it you must go through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved there's no other way uh, and that is the Passover and by coming to the cross we deny ourselves we take up our cross it's no longer about Ricky Taylor it's about the cross I'm taking it up I'm putting myself on it I am dying like he died I'm giving my life like he gave his life in other words I am reckoning myself as though I was dead I'm dead I'm not mine I'm not mine anymore I don't own myself. I don't get to make my own decisions. I never have anyway. And neither have you. You've never made your own decisions. You've never been free one moment of your life. You always served a master. And God delivered you from that master. We were in Egypt. We were in bondage. We were under the Pharaoh. And the Lord redeemed us. But in redeeming us, redemption means to buy back. In redeeming us, he purchased us with his blood, and he owns us. And can I say, I'm so glad that he did. You know, we will come to it later on, but there's a, the idea is that a person could sell himself into servitude. And he could come into his master's house, and at the end of seven years, he would be free. He would serve his master, he'd work off his debt, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it is that he had to do. And at the end of seven years, he could go out free. But there was a provision made for the servant of love. And the servant of love says, I love my master, and I love his house, and I don't want to leave. And they would take that servant and they'd take him to the door of the house and they'd take an awl and they'd make a mark in his ear. And from that moment on, he would be a servant of his master and of his master's house forever by choice. He was a servant of love. And Paul, when he writes his gospel or his epistles, he often says, I, Paul, a servant of love. A bond of love. I'm here because I want to be. And I love my master. I love his house. I never want to leave. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I'm glad that he purchased me. So we liken ourselves dead. And there 
at the cross, the blood of the Lamb of God is applied. And people will say, well, Brother Taylor, is that it? You just repent and you're saved? Well, let's look at Israel. And I'm not going to answer that. I never answer that question because I can't save you and I can't throw you into hell. And some of you should be lucky or very glad that that's true. <laughs> I'm just playing. I love all of you. I want to see you all in heaven. But. What did the Israelites do? Did they sit in the house? Man, we had our Passover last night. Wasn't that wonderful? It was beautiful. Hallelujah. We had the blood applied. Let's just sit here and just stay in the land of Goshen, put our feet up. Well, you wouldn't have lasted long because the enemy was coming. Egypt was coming. And they were coming with their swords and their, their spears. And you would have been left alone. And, uh, and you wouldn't have been there in that house for very long. But no, Israel followed the cloud. And the cloud led them to the water where they were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. So we are buried with him in baptism and are resurrected in him by the Holy Spirit. Now that's the feast of first fruits. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened at the third feast and he is the first fruits from the dead as we also talked about last week. And we then are part of the body. And here, once again, we have the blood of the Lamb of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the water. We have the unleavened bread. Now, Peter preached the first message of the gospel, which he had received from Jesus himself, who instructed the apostles and the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. For 40 days. After Jesus resurrected, he was seen of them and spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. They were given a direct gospel. And then we see that Peter got up and he preached the direct gospel in Acts chapter 2, 37 to 39. And this is a familiar verse to us. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Apply the blood. Israel, apply the blood. Repent. And that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Be baptized in the water. It's the blood. It's the water. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit be baptized in the cloud for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call and it's interesting that Acts chapter 2 ends with them breaking bread and continuing in the apostles doctrine so once again we see all of the aspects of the Passover night together here we have the bread we're the bread we are the body of Christ when we're purchased by him we are the body of Christ and then, of course, we see the blood, we see the spirit, we see the water. And that pattern continues to play out throughout the entire scripture. Because that is the redemption that God has provided for us. And we will see that as we come to Elijah. When Elijah builds an altar uh, and he, he has a contest between him and the uh, prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. He builds an altar of 12 stones. 
and he pours has water poured all over the stones and the ditch around and then he slays the, the sacrifice and the boar, blood would run down into the water and what did God do he answered by fire we see the water the spirit and the blood and that is all throughout the scripture we will see that when uh, Moses dedicates the law he takes the law and he sets up 12 stones and he takes water and he takes blood and he takes hyssop and he sprinkles the people and he sprinkles the book and the Bible says they saw the God of Israel that's the one who was in the cloud so we have every aspect of the Passover taking place over and over again throughout the Bible all the way to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 so if you want to know what the plan of redemption is that's the plan of redemption now let's take a look at the feast of unleavened bread the feast of unleavened bread occurred after the Passover at twilight on the 15th day of the month Nisan you'll remember that the Passover lamb was sla uh, slaughtered on the 14th day of the month Nisan and during this feast all leaven is to be removed from every home in Israel all leavened bread is removed and all leavening agents are removed and then uh, for seven days they eat only unleavened bread now we have now come to what I call a Ricky Taylorism so pay careful attention so you can prove me wrong about half an hour from now uh, most Bible commentators teach that leaven is a type of sin I think for three or four hundred years that has been the teaching um, and the removal of leaven and leavened bread from Israel was a type of cleansing from sin. How many have heard that? I think, I think most people who've, who've heard any teaching on it at all, yes. Uh, that is certainly the widely accepted traditional version of the meaning, meaning behind the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But I do not believe that the Bible supports this view. Uh, firstly, because sin is always sin. There's never a time that sin is not sin. Sin is always sin every day of the year. And the idea that Israel should cleanse itself from sin and then start sinning again seven days later does not add up in my way of thinking. Right? Oh yeah, you just be sinless for seven days and you can do whatever you want for the rest of the year. Secondly, though most offerings in the tabernacle and the temple are without leaven. And they are. The thanksgiving and peace offerings include leavened bread. Now, we don't use sin giving thanks to God or fellowshipping with God. And uh, furthermore, two leavened barley loaves are what they waved as part of the feast of Shavuot, Shavuot which we know as Pentecost. They would wave to leavened loaves. So I don't think that Pentecost began with sin. It just is not a type that goes throughout the entire scripture without falling down. It cannot be supported. Now the disease of leprosy in the scriptures is certainly a type of sin. Uh, it is a collection of terrible, often incurable diseases. It, it wasn't all Hansen's diseases. We know it, it is today, but it was many different uh, skin diseases. Uh, and this would separate the victims from their families and 
from their people. You had to be outside the camp. And I cannot think of any circumstances where leprosy could be used in an offering within the sanctuary of the tabernacle or the temple. I can't think of any leprous item that has been tainted with leprosy being used in the tabernacle or in the temple as an offering or a sacrifice because it is sin. And Israel would never allow it. And they would never touch a leper. And they would never use a leprous garment. So if then leaven is a type of sin, they should never use leaven. There should never be any leaven in any of their bread at any time. There should never be leaven in any of their offerings at any time. Sin, in other words, was and is always sin. And it's always forbidden. But leaven was used throughout the year. Uh, except for during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the reality is unleavened bread in the Bible is called the, the bread of affliction. That's what they'd give to prisoners. If they'd put you in prison, you'd have the bread of affliction. Why? Because nobody wants to eat plain old unleavened bread. We want the leavened bread. We want the good tasting bread. We want the bread with the good texture. I want the donuts. Right? Right. So if it is not sin, then biblically... What is leaven a type of? I'm glad you asked. Uh, let, let's look at some of the scriptures about leaven. And I'm going to begin with Mark 8.15. And the Lord Jesus here in Mark 8.15 warns about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he was giving orders to them saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He gave a similar warning in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 11. He says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you about bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the Lord knows what leaven is. And he's saying that the Pharisees and Herod have leaven and so do the Sadducees yet the Lord also compared leaven to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33 another parable he spoke to them the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened the only conclusion then is that leaven is sometimes a good thing, and it is. There are very good aspects to leaven. Like I said, it makes bread taste better. It adds texture. Um, and normally bread in Israel is leavened. And after the Feast of Unleavened Bread today, they all rejoice. They have a good time. They go back to eating the bread that they actually like to eat. And they don't worry about that unleavened bread for, you know, almost another year. So let's examine then what leaven is and how it is used. Leaven is yeast or a, another leavening agent used to make bread rise and to add texture to the bread. Now, bread 
is often handed down, so to speak. Instead of growing yeast, it is easier to simply take the dough from leavened dough and add it to unleavened dough. So if I have dough that is already leavened and I make unleavened dough, I could go through the whole process of getting the yeast and together, or I could just take a little pinch of the leavened dough, add it to the dough, put it all together, and now that dough will slowly become leaven. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It'll cause the larger amount of dough to become leavened. And in that process of removing a small amount of dough from leavened dough to unleavened dough, at, throughout a long period of time, it is very possible that the original leaven or the original leavened dough that you took and put in the unleavened dough continues from loaf to loaf, maybe from baker to baker, year after year, from, to, from generation to generation. You see? And as the loaves move from person to person, there are slight variations to the dough, subtle changes carried along from loaf to loaf, from lump to lump. But in Israel, that wasn't so. Still isn't. Because once a year, all leavened bread and all leavening agents were removed. That means every year they had to grow new leaven. They had to get rid of all their leaven. That means they had to make new leaven. Right? In order to start leavening bread again. So every year the old leaven was removed and the new leaven replaced it. You understand? And the Lord warned against the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. The Pharisees, now, in the time of Christ, these were a sect of ultra-Orthodox Jews, and they were full of pride. They prided themselves as being the true teachers of the law of Moses. They hated Jesus. And uh, they were extremely religious, extremely pious. They followed many extra-biblical traditions that were handed down to them by their elders. They enlarged the borders of their prayer shawls. They... Uh, the, their teflon and their phylacteries, they enlarge those. That's uh, the word of God between the eyes and up, bound upon your, your arm. They argue constantly about matters of the law, such as whether to strain a gnat from food, because after all, the food may be clean, but a gnat is technically an unclean animal. They performed alms, but they would blow a trumpet to announce to everybody that they were about ready to bless a poor man. They would, they would fast, but they would go out in the middle of, of where everybody could see them in the marketplace, and they would, they would put ashes on their head, and they would, they would make themselves look like they were miserable and suffering, so everybody could say, oh, what a righteous man he is fasting to the Lord. In other words... They were hypocrites. And the doctrine that they had, what Jesus likened to their leaven, was handed down to them from past generations of 
Pharisees. Yeah, that's what the leaven was, the leaven of the Pharisees. In Mark 7, 5, we see a verbal altercation between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees said, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something he's not. You pretend to be righteous. You look good on the outside. But Jesus said of the, of the Pharisees, In the end, you're a whited sepulcher. You're clean, you're beautiful, you're white. A sepulcher is a place to put dead bodies. He said, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. I never want to be a whited sepulcher. I have been before. I've been a Pharisee. I have been a whited sepulcher. So was Paul, though, so I think I'm in good company. Amen. He said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. That was eleven of the Pharisees their tradition and Jesus rebuked them off and he told them that their traditions made the word of God of no effect the Sadducees were on the opposite spectrum of the Pharisees these were the liberals these were the professors of, of, of theology who didn't really believe in God you see them all the time go to any divinity school any whatever wherever you want to go to get your PhD in theology or religion Oh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I teach it. I know everything about it, but I don't believe in God. See, that's who the Sadducees were. They did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. So they were sad. You see? <laughs> but like the Pharisees, their traditions handed down to them like leaven going from dough to dough, loaf to loaf, from generation to generation was not in line with the pure, unleavened Word of God. You're not hearing unleavened Word of God right now. You're hearing a Ricky Taylorism. I'm giving you the best that I can. I'm trying to give it to you as pure as I can. But the only truly unleavened word of God is what we actually find in the pages of the book. My job is to try to keep my leaven, my tradition, my own viewpoint, my own persuasion from causing the word of God to be of no effect. I am a servant of the gospel that's what the bible says it's not a servant to me i'm a servant to it a servant of the gospel so in what aspect old leaven is a religious tradition or custom handed down from generation to generation there's your definition if you're wanting to write that down an old old leaven is a religious tradition or custom Handed down from generation to generation. Of course, we don't have any of that here. Praise God. 
living in itself is not bad. Tradition in itself is not bad. It makes bread taste good. I want you all to say that. Leaven is not always bad. Leaven is not always bad. So I'm not up here talking against all tradition. Like I don't know what we'd do without it. We wouldn't be very human without tradition. It's kind of our nature. And leaven is not bad. Tradition is not always bad. They're often enjoyable. They add structure and texture to our lives. Uh, the way that we have communion, that we had commu- communion and foot washing last week, was completely traditional. That is not the way they did it in the Bible at all. And the way they did it in the Bible was they actually had a Passover meal. They got together. They had a meal. They enjoyed the meal together. Some of them overate. They, they enjoyed it. They used napkins. We have little tiny cups and little tiny pieces of bread because that's our tradition. But it's still partaking in the blood of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful tradition. And I like it. Amen. Frankly, I'd rather do that than sit and have a meal. Because now I get to concentrate on what the meaning is behind this. Amen. And that's our tradition. And that's a good thing. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. And they're often enjoyable. But they must always be examined against the pure, sincere gospel and replaced if necessary. And I'm glad that we have traditions. The tradition of having a church building dedicated to the work of the church is a fine tradition in my opinion because I love this air conditioning. Amen. It's hot outside. I am thankful that we have a tradition where we dedicated a building to the work of God. I have a microphone. You can hear me. We have lighting. You can see me. We're not being interrupted by passers-by because this place is traditionally dedicated to the work of God. But that's not the way they did it in Scripture. But see, God gives us leeway to that. In fact, God really enjoys a lot of our traditions. He enjoys the way they worship in Africa, their exuberance, because it's part of their culture. So when they received the gospel, it came with their culture of exuberant worship. He loves the way that they worship so properly in Japan and stand so reverently before the Lord because that reverence is encoded into their culture. It's part of their leaven. And the Lord honors that. He loves it. He enjoys it. He doesn't want us to all be the same. Amen. That's right. So tradition, leaven, is not always a bad thing. But we must be careful that our traditions never make the word of God to no effect. The Pharisees, I'm sure, kept the feast of unleavened bread to the letter. They removed all leaven, all leavened bread. No doubt making a big show of it. We are removing the leaven today. And they're walking in a parade. We're removing the leaven. Removing the leaven. And then they probably had a fire. And they, we're burning the leaven. Because we're righteous. We're so holy. They probably did. They did all of that. Man, they followed it to the T, to the letter of the law. To be seen of men. But what they needed to do was purge out the old leaven of their traditions and any doctrines they followed that went against the word of God. The feast of Passover, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits were about Jesus. 
But when the Pharisees met him, they did not recognize him. While they're going through this act of taking out the leaven, while they're going through this act of choosing the Passover lamb for preparing for the feast of first fruits, the Word of God Himself, the Passover lamb of God, was standing in their midst and they didn't know who He was because He couldn't be the Messiah. He violated my tradition. The tradition of my elders, therefore he cannot be the Messiah. What they needed to do was start over. They needed to return to the beginning. They needed to get rid of the leaven of their tradition. They needed to start from the beginning. In the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, we find the Galatian church, and these were Gentiles, which means they were non-Jewish believers, and they began trying to live under the law of Moses. Even requiring circumcision of Christian believers, that is not a requirement. Not for Christian believers. And this occurred among them because the traditions or the old leaven of certain Jewish believers influenced them. And the Galatians allowed the leaven of these Jewish believers to grow among them. They became very legalistic. They were very much like the Pharisees, trusting in laws of Moses and ordinances of men instead of the grace of Jesus. Paul spoke to them in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 29. Paul, who had been a Pharisee before he met Jesus, a Pharisee. In fact, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the one all the other Pharisees looked up to and modeled themselves after. He says, look, I, Paul, tell you that if you, if you have yourselves circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You'll make the word of God of no effect. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you're going to follow this law, you've got to follow all 613 laws. Go ahead. Good luck. At least back then they had the temple still standing. We don't have a temple. We can't follow those laws because most of them take place in the temple. You can't do it. You have been severed from Christ. How? By the leaven. It severed you from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. You're severed from Christ. I never want to be severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For we through the Spirit by faith, we through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. In other words, my righteousness doesn't come from these works of the law. Getting circumcised doesn't make me any more righteous. Following the laws of Moses does not add one iota to my righteousness. My righteousness comes by faith. Through the Spirit, by faith, are we waiting for the hope of righteousness? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. 
Neither does keeping the Sabbath. Neither does not eating pork. Doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. It will not make you righteous. It's a work of the law, and the law has been done away with. You were saved from the law, not by the law. And that's what he's telling them. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith, working through love. If you have faith in what Jesus Christ did for you and will follow love in the Spirit, you will keep the entire law. How? How is that possible? How? Because on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. Let me ask you a question. And by the showing of hands, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Are we under the Ten Commandments? Anybody? Raise your hand if we are. Good. Why? Because I don't need to be. I believe in Jesus. And I'm loving through his spirit. I'm loving. And if I love the Lord, I won't have any other gods before me. And if I love the Lord, I'll worship him the way he wants to be worshipped, which means I won't bow down to idols. And if I love my wife, I won't commit adultery. And if I love my neighbor, I won't steal from him and I won't kill him and I won't covet his house or his donkey or his wife or anything that he has. Why? I love him. That's right. So I'm free from the law. Yes, that's right. I don't need it. I'm going to keep it because the Lord wrote it in my heart. Not on stone. So Paul likened the doctrine of the Jewish believers to leaven. The leaven was the tradition of the Jews. We see the same thing happening to the Corinthians, except they're the opposite. They don't have legalism. In fact, anything goes, man. Oh, this brother over here, he's dating his, he's dating his father's wife. Oh, that's cool, man. Grace, you know, all right. That's awesome. This guy over here, he's committing fornication with the temple prostitutes in, in, in the, the city of Corinth, which, you know, that's kind of part of our culture. But, you know, he's saved by grace, man. Now, does that sound right? It's not legalism. It's the opposite of legalism. But once again, Paul gets on the 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Your glorying is not good, know ye not, that a little leaven. See, it's a different kind of leaven. But it was leaven. It was a tradition that the Corinthians had in Corinth. It wasn't legalism. It wasn't the law of Moses. No, it was the traditions that the Corinthians had. Well, it's totally normal to us. I mean, we're Gentiles, right? But it's leaven. It's old leaven. So he says, purge out there for the old leaven. That ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He brings them back to the Passover. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Church, that's what we need. The tradition and doctrine of Galatians, which was legalism or trusting in laws, rules, and regu regulations, rather than grace through faith in Jesus Christ, working through love, was not in line 
with the pure and sincere gospel. Theirs was not in line with the gospel. But neither was the refusal of the Corinthians to judge their fellow Christians and to allow open, unrepentant sin in their midst. That was not in the line of God's word. And both traditions, both doctrines, both viewpoints were likened by Paul to leaven. Now Jesus also warned against the leaven of Herod. And Herod was the king of Judea. He was a wicked king, yet he was the lawful government in that area. And the church needs to be careful about the leaven of the rulers and the governments and the society in whatever country or territory that we may reside in. The church cannot afford to be influenced by the leaven of Herod or any other government leader. Frankly, I do not believe that there should ever be a party-affiliated church. I do not believe it. We are not a Republican church. We are not a Democrat church. We are not a Green Party church or any other political affiliation. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the light in the world to every man, regardless of political ideology. Communist, socialist, they're welcome here. But you're going to have to probably purge up some old leaven. Right? But you're welcome. Come in, but you come to that foot of the cross, and you come to that foot of the cross, and the blood is applied. You become unleavened. Hallelujah. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to leaven. The teaching of the kingdom began small, but spread steadily to the entire world as yeast spreads in dough. It began among the Jews. Then it moved, and, and when it went to the Jews, a little bit of their Jewish tradition got mingled in. And then when it went to the Gentiles, a little bit of their Gentile tradition got mingled in. And as it was handed down from generation to generation, it was hardly recognizable as the pure, simple, sincere gospel of the kingdom. Tell me that's not true. And we need to learn from the feast of unleavened bread. We need to purge ourselves from anything that would make the pure, sincere gospel of the kingdom of no effect. We need to return to the Word of God. We need to align ourselves with His Word. We need to remove the old leaven if necessary. Removing the old leaven is often necessary for revival. A new doctrine, a new leaven, a new loaf. It was a new beginning for the people of Israel. It was the death. It was the blood of the Lamb. It was the baptism in the cloud and the water, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I'm going to close now, but we at Upper Room are called Pentecostal. That means we believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I like to just call myself a Christian. And people say, well, do you like to be called apostolic? Well, I understand what you're saying. I get it. We're, we're, we were, we're founded on the doctrine of the apostles. But where did they get that doctrine from? Who built on them? Jesus. So I like to call myself a Christian, if that's okay with you. Amen. But we are labeled as Pentecostals. And that means we believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Modern-day Pentecostals came out of the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. 
And the Azusa Street Revival began with a group of believers from different denominations, different traditions, different races, and they got together to purge themselves from traditions. The leaven that went against the gospel delivered by Jesus to the apostles. The tradition of Herod, so to speak. The government and the society which said that races should not worship in the same church together. You should have a white church and a black church and a Mexican church and a Chinese church. But they went against that leaven of Herod. And they said, we're going to kneel down a white woman, a black man, a Chinese immigrant. It doesn't matter. We want God. They got rid of the leaven. They purged themselves from the leaven. The leaven of the denomination said that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit were not for us today. That was old leaven. And as this group came together, this, different, this group of different people, and they prayed, they purged out the old leaven and became unleavened. They returned to the foot of the cross, to the Passover lamb, to the feast of unleavened bread, to the water and the spirit, uh, to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And God baptized them in the water and in the cloud. That's what happens when you will purge out the old leaven. Get the word pure unleavened Word of God. More than a century has passed since the Azusa Street Revival. It's history. And leaven, old news, entered the churches that came out of that revival. I said, not all leaven is bad. But I believe that for another mighty revival to occur, the church of God must purge out the old leaven we have to return to the passover the foot of the cross the feast of unleavened bread we got to take it out and examine it if it's leaven let's burn it give me the original doctrine that jesus gave to the apostles do you understand what i'm saying Amen. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for thy word. And I ask that this word will go into the hearts of your people, God, that you will bring us a mighty end time, last days revival as we return to the cross of Jesus Christ as we die once again to our own desires, our own customs, our own traditions, our own will, O oh God, and be led by your Spirit. Again, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart.